everybody, and welcome to the mayhem that is the Seven Innings Podcast that is the postseason on the ESPN Networks on the road to the Women's College World Series. BMO, Horo, Smitty, Doza, Shro, Bro, JDH, otherwise known as Beth Mowens, Holly Rowe, Michelle Smith, Jessica Mendoza, Jen Schroeder, Kayla Bro, Jenny Dalton-Hill. We are breaking down the Supers, getting you ready for uh, eight versus eight, just eight spots available for the Women's College World Series. We're going to run through them all for you. Follow along on the 7 Innings Podcast lineup card on your social media. Let's start out, though, uh, quickly with some thoughts uh, from the regionals and what excites you, Kayla Bro, about the Supers coming up. Well, first of all, I got to see an absolute smackdown in Norman this past weekend. And so, you know, I, I see that. Oklahoma is the team to be after last weekend. Their offense was incredible. So thinking about Oklahoma potentially getting a couple games versus Gabby Plain just gets me fired up. And not to mention that game's going to be on the big time network, ABC. <gasps> so, you know, let's go. Um, I thought it was a great weekend. I thought there was parody. I thought some of the non-Power Fives came to play. And I think that we could see a really good uh, one of some of the best supers that I can remember in a long time with close competitive games. I'm really looking forward to it. Bro, what'd you see? Well, the real question is, what didn't I see? Because we watched <laughs> 64 teams, everyone in our ears, a billion screens in front of us. And so I felt like us in studio, Holly, Jess, myself, Chris Button, we saw so much of everything. I think something that stood out to me are a lot of these newer coaches at programs getting it done, changing cultures. I did a count. There are six new coaches at schools now competing in the super regional. So it's pretty crazy to see these coaches go to new places and be able to change the culture, change the program very quickly. And I do think that it, you know, that alludes to our sport growing at such a fast rate. So it's exciting for me. Doza, how did you guys survive in the studio that long? Take us behind we had amazing, amazing softball. <laughs> I mean, I'm not gonna <laughs> lie, we were we were definitely losing our minds a little bit, but we just kept. I mean, when you look at like Austin and that the delay and how long that anticipation of what that series was going to bring, and of course, I think it was like 1:30 in the morning when Oregon had runners at first and third in the seventh inning. Of course, that's how it would mm-hmm. be. Texas wasn't going to win that game easily. Um, but nobody out, they ended up not scoring the celebration, the drama. Um, I mean, that's, that's our late night. So you started the day and you're sending teams left and right. I have to say, can I just like how exciting it was to feel big time this weekend with all of the games on ESPN, ESPN two, ESPN U, but the, the fact that when we were in the studio, I mean, we didn't have a minute off. Like everybody wanted to see softball and go to this game and poor Holly Rowe, by the way, calling, I should be calling one game, throwing it to another. My point is, is, is it was just constant action. We all know this because we go through it and we're trying to watch all of these games, but to see the demand, the results, I just, I give ESPN so much credit for doing this because it was so needed to have all of these games that red zone meets maybe nightclub type action of all of us in the studio watching these games. 
By the way, Seven Innings Live, uh, we'll be back this weekend for our Supers coverage, so check that out. Um, Holly, what's exciting uh, you about these Supers coming up? Well, uh, first I want to just shout out all of the programs that don't get a lot of attention that just competed their bleeps off this weekend. Like I'm George Washington, Fresno State. There were so many good teams, Liberty, you know, teams that are maybe not on the national radar as big as others. And I was just so impressed with all of these athletes, all of these uh, coaches and players like my goodness, softball is in maybe the healthiest state I've ever seen it. There's depth, there's parity, there's talent all across the board. Um, I, I did feel inadequate in many ways because I could not organize my information like Beth Moens organizes. Like I, I literally would keep saying, like if Beth Moens was here, she would be more organized. So I just want to give a shout out to our captain of this podcast because I don't know how you keep everything organized like you do. It's a trait and a skill that I don't possess, but thank you very much. And then what's got me excited about regionals is I think we have really competitive regionals. Um, I actually just got off the phone with Lauren Laporte um, from James Madison, and they are headed into Columbia against Missouri. And to me, this is one of the most competitive regionals. I think this is going to be one of the best supers mm-hmm. um, because James Madison is hot. They are 27-0 and and Odyssey Alexander now 14-0. and That pitcher just deserves a lot of attention and a lot of praise. So that's the super that I think I'm the most mm-hmm. excited to watch other than the one that I get to cover. I, Hey, Oh my God. I didn't, I buried the headline. You buried the lead. I am going to a softball game live and in person for the first time all season. So I get to go to Oklahoma. I'm really excited to be reunited with you, Beth, Michelle, Jess, and be on ABC. Like, can we just talk about how exciting this is for Oklahoma and Washington mm-hmm. to have the biggest window we've ever had on a programming standpoint. So everybody Saturday, 3 PM Eastern, this is a huge deal for our sport and we need good ratings. So we get more of these windows. So anyone listening to this podcast, even if you can't watch, just turn your TVs on, turn your cell phones on, whatever you can, (laughs) every device in your home, please have it streaming on ABC. So we can get those ratings up. Quick question, because right. I've been getting this text and maybe it'll help podcast listeners. If you record it, does it help for the ratings or only if it's only if you watch it live? I'm going to go streaming, ahead. I'm- streaming ratings count. Like, so if you stream yeah. it on any device, no matter when you stream it, you know, streaming ratings do count, but we okay. do want linear recording, ratings as well. Recording does also. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yes. All right. That helps. Um, well done so far. Uh, I am I am right now making the fourth ABC mention of the program, so let's keep that going. Um, somebody is going to have a very hard time uh, renaming this podcast because Compete Your Bleeps Off right now has a huge lead in the polls. Um, and there will be a uh, BMO Seven Innings Organizational Summit. I will share with the world some of my preparation uh thingamajiggies that's a technical term that you'll only find out at the summit smitty <laughs> smitty how about you what you got cooking uh, well first off i want to say happy birthday uh beth moens um so let's give her a happy birthday shout out so maybe, maybe- happy birthday um, me. and i i concur holly about um bmo's organizational skills when when we're in the booth together like her stuff is always neat and tidy and mine is like blown up all over the place and i'm i'm flipping through pages but um so i too am jealous of her ability to keep everything so streamlined um i thought our 
our regional was interesting. It was like the perfect one for me to be at because there was great pitching <laughs> and hardly any hitting. I think if Jessica was there, she would have been poking her eyeball out. <laughs> um, so we had a couple no-nos um, or flirted with no-nos on Friday. And then Elizabeth Hightower finally got hers in the championship game on Sunday. Um, but yes, moving forward, super excited about being in Norman um, where you know, Beth and I didn't see a lot of hitting last weekend. We're going to be jumping right into the offensive juggernaut uh, of both teams. You know, Washington could swing it as well. And that's what I'm excited about is that to see how they're going to match up against Oklahoma. And so I think they're going to have to swing it. I don't think we're going to see the, uh, the, the, the pitchers do what they did last weekend in the circle. I think there's going to be a lot of runs put up on the board. I think that Taking the extra 60 feet is going to be crucial. Uh, and I think just showing our game and what we can do uh, and being on the, the the largest stage ever out there with being on ABC, I think is going to be just, you know, huge for our sport. And I'm, I'm excited yeah. to be a part of that history. Yeah, we've been spending a lot of time together and probably spending too much time together because whenever there was a situation with a catcher, I, I immediately thought, what would Shro do? And then we had we had a couple of um, outfield miscues where somebody came in first and then had to go back. And I'm like, oh, my God, Mendoza and bro would be all over this right now. Good stuff, ladies. Good stuff. Um, we, we're, we're the seven innings podcast and it's time to break down the brackets featuring um, our, our very first game on ABC Saturday afternoon. Um, and just for some perspective, you know, when we first started doing this. Uh, a, a real huge shout out to everybody behind the scenes at ESPN and all the people in years past that have worked on this. When I was first going to the World Series, it was tape delayed and it was a due to time constraints. We now move ahead to further action in the sixth inning. I mean, we literally had to you know, record those taglines because all we had was the two hour window and it had to fit and we didn't even see the action live. So to come as far as we have and now to have a super on ABC um, and, and then on to the World Series with every pitch is just uh, fabulous. And I, I'm really getting a three-game Champ Series vibe when I look at these Supers and when I see some of the great talent around the country. Our coverage starts Thursday night, 7 Eastern on ESPN. We'll have a double header for you. LSU Florida State uh, meeting, I think, for the third time in the Supers in like the last five years. Uh, would have liked a little more variance there from the selection committee, but that's another podcast. And then UCLA Bot Tech, uh, Virginia Tech, the Hokies, one of three first round upsets of seeds, one shy of the record. The record for regionals and supers is seven upsets. So we'd need a lot of activity in the supers to reach that. But let's start out. Who wants to uh, go with LSU, Florida State? I'm actually really looking forward to this series for a couple reasons. I think that um, LSU has a new lease on life. Okay, granted, they mm-hmm. stepped toe a little bit early on in regionals, but came back and won those two big games against Louisiana. But this is a program that all year long were challenged. They are, they have, they're in Entire year is made for right now, for this moment, for this three-game series where go- they're going up against Florida State. And as you mentioned, Beth, they know each other very, very well. So it's going to come down to execution. Florida State struggled a little bit offensively earlier in the year. They've been picking it up. Sydney Sherrill, Elizabeth Mason have starting to hit a little bit better later in the season, which is, of course, you know, when you want to hit better. Um, but I think this is just going to be a complete matchup. Again, execution, being ability to uh, to go station to station when the ball's not leaving the yard, and um, and, and pitches matter uh, in big situations, making those count. You obviously have the depth of the LSU pitching staff, which is I think is going to be a bonus on their side. But mm-hmm. I'm looking forward 
to these games on Thursday night. You know what's interesting, Michelle? You mentioned the depth of their pitching staff, but I found it very intriguing that they went to Kilponen so much throughout the regional. I kept, you know, again, 18 monitors in front of us. I was keeping an eye on them, and I kept waiting for someone else to come in the game or someone else to start, and they really just kept going to Kilponen over and over. Sinceri got some innings here and there. Uh, but it came down to two in-state rivals with Louisiana facing LSU and then UCF and Florida. And those two regionals really felt like in-state rival games. And then now you mentioned three out of five in the last or three out of the last five years they've met in supers. And so it's like rivalry now on top of rivalry for their supers. And so I feel like super regionals or any games that have that extra feel, that rivalry feel, it comes down to what team shows up with emotion, what team isn't going to let the other team beat them. We saw LSU with their stomping of home plate. Some of my favorite images are those athletes coming into the stomping on the home run. And I think that's setting the scene for what we're going to see. I think it's going to be a dogfight between FSU and LSU, and it's going to have a lot of fireworks, a lot of energy, and a lot of emotion. Holly, what do you think? I think Tiger Park dictates this this series. I think that energy is a huge deal. Their home field advantage is a huge deal. Tiger Park has been rocking throughout the regionals. I've been very impressed with the fans showing up, showing out loud there in Baton Rouge. But the other thing that woke up to me was the bats. I thought LSU finally came alive. I, mm-hmm. I feel like we'd maybe all agree that this has not been their best hitting season and the numbers are down from a typical LSU team, but I thought their bats woke up and I think that's really important. And then they played some good defense. Air Andrews is must watch television anytime she's in the field. Well, you're right, Holly. I think the two key players that I look at for LSU are Amanda Doyle and Taylor Pleasance. And Amanda Doyle came through big time this past weekend. You know, Aralia is going to do her thing in the outfield, but she also sets the table really well. Her and Sierra Briggs do a nice job of consistently getting on base. So you need some big time players to step up. And finally, it's feeling like as this season creeps along, which is always typical of a Beth Tarina softball team, is they start to peak at the end. And you can credit that to some of the toughest games that they've had in, in the toughest schedule really maybe ever they've played this yeah. season. The, the, uh, the, the one possibility here is that the errors that were problematic earlier in the season, that if that crops up again, there could be a huge play involving that LSU defense. Can they handle that? Uh, the other thing is, you know, we, we talk about this in a lot of sports. Can you just flip that switch? If you're Florida state, have you just been, gearing up, playing already, kind of cruise control into the postseason. Do they have what it takes in this kind of environment? They're so experienced uh, with a lot of players that have been to the World Series and that won a title. Uh, Can they crank it up a notch as they face a familiar foe? Uh, These two have seen a lot of each other in recent years. Should be a fabulous showdown that will start Thursday on ESPN at seven Eastern. And then they are also primetime game two on Saturday night, LSU and Florida state, the Tigers, one of seven sec teams that reached the supers uh, three from the pac 12, three from the big 12. So UCLA taking on Virginia tech on Thursday night could be a huge night for the ACC. If Virginia tech can pull off another pac 12 upset, they uh, took the, Tempe Regional knocked out the 15 seed, uh, but of course UCLA, the defending champions. Thursday, 9.30, that's the second game on ESPN, Holly Rowe. 
Yeah, I think Keely Rochard is so impressive. She was somebody that really stood out to me this last weekend as one of the most dominant pitchers in the country. She threw 344 pitches, and she never looked tired to me. She just continued to be very consistent in the circle. And I'm really curious to see that pitching matchup because, you know, Rachel Garcia is playing very well. Um, They have a little more depth, I think, in their pitching rotation. But Keely Rochard, man, she has been the ACC Pitcher of the Year uh, efficient, consistent, great strength and longevity. And I've just been really impressed with her. A bit of a throwback, Holly. I mean, we've been talking so much about bullpens now, the staff of so many teams and what's really necessary, I feel like in 2021. And then you got Virginia Tech with Rochard and I think 300 and so, all the pitches that she threw this last weekend. And she is incredibly durable. We'll see that with Odyssey Alexander and James Medicine. I'm not trying to get ahead. The one thing being able to be in studio and watch that I pointed out to both you and Shro was after UCLA won that regional final, it was the only regional final where there was no celebration. There was no excitement. And we took that as, and we're not in that dugout. We're not in the circle. We don't know exactly what they're feeling as this was not their best softball this weekend, flat out. UCLA did not look great. They did not look like the number two team in the country. What we've seen from them all throughout the regular season, they gave up five runs in the two games between Fresno State and Minnesota. They lost, They won, excuse me, I want to say lost because that's the look on their faces, but they won both those games by one run. And that's great. It's a challenge. I'm thinking if that's me, we're celebrating. We're excited because we did not play our best softball and yet we won and we're going to supers. But I think there's something and they're going to probably get after it this week because they know that they were not the team that they've been all season long. You know, what's worrisome about the UCLA offense to me is that they have rarely all year strung hits together one through nine, especially when you're comparing them to an OU offense, the number one team in the country. We're just, they just put it together all the time. UCLA has relied on the timely big hit, all Rachel Garcia tying the game up in the top of the seventh. But not one time all year have they strung it together where everyone's hot at the same time. And that's very worrisome because will they ever this year? Will we see them all be hot together? I don't know. When you're going and facing Keely Richard, like Holly said, one of the most impressive pitchers in the postseason. She spins the ball so well. I don't think an offense can rely on just the one timely hit. You've got to figure out how to put it together, how to manufacture runs, and that's something that UCLA has struggled with. You know, Michelle, I wanted to ask you a question because I felt like um, Keely Rochard had really good versatility. And I was curious as you're watching her as a pitcher, what really stood out to you about her and why is she so effective? Um, I, I think it's her ability to really scoop and get underneath her rise ball. So she throws at the top of zone. She throws it at different planes. Uh, and she's one of those rise ball pitchers that will get in your head. So you'll swing at a pitch over, over your eyeballs, over your head. And then she'll throw one right down the gut and, and you watch it. And, and that's when you get the hitter thinking, cause they see that spin. They think, Oh, it's going up on the layoff it. And it comes right down Broadway and you don't swing at it. So then you're really, you know, perplexed as a hitter. You're like, wait, okay, which one do I swing at? And you don't have a whole lot of time. I mean, she has a 1.24 ERA for a reason. The other thing too, is that I know a lot of the ACC coaches as with the PAC 12, we're like, Oh my God, I cannot believe we, 
agreed to play these four game series. Well, for a team like Virginia Tech, they didn't have a lot of other help in the circle at her at her ability level. So she threw the lion's share of those games. That's going to pay dividends now because she is in such good shape. UCLA didn't have to do that. If you look at Rachel Garcia's numbers, hers are way down. Now, granted, they have a very complete staff, so they have other pitchers to put in the circle. But Keely Rouchard just has an innate ability to mix speeds, throw that, layer that rise um, at different planes, and then throw in a couple of other pitches to mix to really keep you guessing. So when you can mm-hmm. throw it all four quadrants like that and mix speeds, you, it, you're, you're tough to hit. What do you think? Yeah. You their, their MVP this week might be Kirk Walker and his ability in BP to throw Rochard simulated because usually when, you know, throughout the course of Pac-12 play, you are going to face an elite drop baller. You are going to face that elite rise ball pitcher. Has there been somebody like that in the conference? And the way you guys were talking about how Rochard has been pitching, I'm, I'm not sure they've seen the likes of her recently. So that will be intriguing to me, uh, their, their preparation for Keeley. And the other thing is we have seen in the past teams blow into UCLA uh, uh, fearless, not necessarily knowing any better because they're new to this. Is that the feel that Virginia Tech will bring to Easton Stadium? Or, you know, when you walk into that place, a lot of times you see all the legends um, on the outfield fence. That can be an intimidating place to go into. So how Virginia Tech handles that, I think, will be intriguing as well. And that's a look at the Bruins and the Hokies gets underway Thursday night on ESPN. We are building up towards an ABC game on Saturday afternoon. I don't know if you guys are aware of that. That's the eighth mention of the show, Holly. I'm just disappointed. I thought Jess was going to give us an entire summit on how to lay off the rice ball because that's been (laughs) such a strength of hers in her career. Is that not happening? Uh Yeah. Like, so Beth is going to tell us all how to be organized. And I definitely am incredibly good at the opposite. And all I did was everything at the rice ball, which is why I appreciate it. And I love to remind viewers because they only see the result when a rice ball like Akili Rochard is successful. It's not the result that it ends up at the eyeballs. It's the fact that it's the deception. Those things look so good to hit. (laughs) Well, I'm I'm guessing um, at some point during that um, series, we will see the split screen. If somebody's knee is in the dirt trying to swing at a rise ball, swinging at it so hard, it will be split screen with Mendoza or split screen with Francesca Francesca. Nenea. That's that's my call right there. Uh, Moving on to Bama and Kentucky Friday. They'll get us underway on ESPN2 at 1 o'clock and uh, start us on a run of, oh, boy, a lot of softball on Friday. Remember, it's best two out of three. So uh, the Tide and Kentucky split their four games, regular season and SEC tournament, Caleb Bro. Yeah, it was a really good series. Kentucky, I think, got the best of Alabama in the regular season. It was when Alabama was in that transition point where Bailey Dowling, Claire Jenkins, all of a sudden are out. They're trying to figure out the pieces, figure out their identity. And then when Alabama played Kentucky in the SEC tournament, you felt like they were playing a Bama team that finally has figured out who they are from an offensive perspective. Montana Fouts is pitching better than ever. So I think you're going to see a really exciting uh, super regional. It's an all SEC matchup. They, the mystery is out of this one. They know exactly what to expect. They've watched all the film. They've seen it in person. And I think two of the big key pieces for this game are going to be the leadoff hitters. So you're talking about Alexis Mack, who was a force to be reckoned with versus Clemson. I mean, she tore up their defense, used the ground, 
The ground in Tuscaloosa is like a freaking rock. So she pounded it, used the short game. And Kayla Kowalik's going to have the opportunity to do the same thing. I mean, she can set the table. You saw Kentucky go against Notre Dame two times. And Kayla Kowalik's the catalyst for that team. And so for me, the leadoffs are going to be a big player. Bailey Hemphill, Montana Fouts right now are playing their best softball maybe in their entire careers. And that's what's scary about the tide right now. Uh, but on the other side, Kentucky is not going to be afraid of them, and they're going to be looking forward to this one, BMO. Who poured the concrete in front of home plate at the Rhodes house? Was that Brittany Rogers, or who was the first one that laid the concrete there so you guys could smack it one hoppers into left field? Brittany Rogers was for sure one of the best ground and pound, one of the starts, starting <laughs> slappers for that. But I purposely would always ask her, please, please, please do not water in front of home plate oh. ever. That's a great consulting business, uh, Jess, for uh, Allison McCutcheon, I think. Just roam the country and teach people how to uh, take care of the space in front of home plate. Oh, I thought they were going to say take, <laughs> teach everyone how to ground and pound. <laughs> yeah, well, same thing, same thing. Get the results. Who, what else do we think of this Alabama-Kentucky situation? I uh, you know, I, I, don't, I, wish, I wish the selection committee would – you know, be able to move people up and down the line to try and avoid this stuff. We've got a couple of SEC heads, head to heads, but uh, you know, Hey, Holly Rowe. So I did check in on the NCAA and I asked them to send me their selection criteria and the principles and procedures document, because, you know, like in, for example, in women's college basketball, we've gone and done that mock selection exercise and they do try to avoid conference matchups because they want new people, new faces, new competition. Mm -hmm. But in looking at this softball selection committee, they are only committed, you know, their principle and procedure is only to avoid conference matchups and in regionals. Yes. Not in supers. And the problem is there's so many sec teams in, and this is going to be a problem going forward because of the dominance of the sec. And so I think we do need to push coaches and push the sport and the selection committee to maybe stop some of the geographic regionalization so that we are not getting the same matchups over and over. Like that's going to have to be a a new topic and you know, that's financial. So that's going to have to be something we really push people on because we, we don't, we want new, we want new matchups. Absolutely. Alabama is uh, uh, the only team that's been in all 16 supers. And is that their uh, winning streak right now? Is it 16 in a row, 17 in a row? They're, they're just behind JMU still has, has the hottest streak uh, in the country. More on them to come. Shro? I just want to give a little love to Kentucky because I feel like everyone's looking at this matchup and Alabama is rolling. Montana Fouts is lights out. But there's something special about watching Kentucky get run-ruled by Notre Dame and then come back and just put it on them. They looked absolutely fearless. Yeah, two games in a row, right? They looked absolutely fearless and they looked best when their backs were against the wall. And that's a scary place to be, a scary good place to be if you're Kentucky. So I just want to give a little love Mm -hmm. to Kentucky Mm -hmm. for that. Well, I just wanted to add one thing because I know Kayla talked about the leadoff hitters and to that point, foreshadowing that weekend. If you're listening to the podcast, you're trying to figure out, oh my gosh, we got eight regionals. Where do I tune in? You know, what do I watch? If you want to see the short game and some old school softball, Alabama only has 36 home runs collectively as a team. And we're talking in a day age with Oklahoma and hundred plus. I mean, it's crazy how much we see the long ball. The long ball is fun. I get it. But 
I love the intricacies of what makes softball great. And part of that is setting the table, moving runners, the speed, the art. I mean, Kayla's like over there, yes. And that to me is yes, Alabama, that's what they have to do. We can give Bailey Hempel all the credit and for being the hitter that she is. But you look at Alexis Matt, you look at the rest of this lineup and how they win games. Arizona does that as well. And for Kentucky, for them to be successful this weekend, Montana Fouts, for as great as she is, it's not going to be a long ball that's just going to continually win them games. They're going to have mm-hmm. to put the ball in play. So if you're looking for games to watch and you want to see some old school softball, Alabama and Kentucky, guaranteed those games are going to bring you that. Montana Fouts, by the way, one of the uh, three pitchers that we will see this weekend that has over 300 strikeouts. Uh, we just had a close-up look at Georgina Corrick, uh, Smitty and I. She was fabulous for USF. Uh, has a just a slight lead, probably will get passed by uh, both Gabby Plain and Keely Rochard, the other pitchers with uh, 300 strikeouts on the year. So that's Alabama and Kentucky. Did you have one more? Add, one Holly? quick stat, Beth. Yep. Yes, you talked about old school softball. I talked to Patrick Murphy at the beginning of the year, and he said he had a lot of green light girls on this team. They have 85 stolen bases. You talk mm-hmm. about old school softball. I love the pressure they put on defenses with their speed. That That is fun to watch and exciting. One of the best plays I thought we saw all year was the the rundown they intentionally got into in the SEC tournament early against Florida and ended up scoring a run from third on that first and third situation. We, we've seen some terrific aggressive base running throughout the year. Moving on to the cleanup spot in the lineup number four on your lineup card. This is the seven innings podcast at seven innings podcast on your Twitter and your gram. BMO, Horo, Smitty, Doza, Shro, Bro, JDH. Uh, there's only one team, only one matchup to put in the four spot in the lineup. That would be the Oklahoma Sooners, the Boomers, uh, in hot pursuit of the single season home run record currently held by Hawaii in 2010. Uh, but they're, they're facing uh, probably the best pitcher, right, that they've seen all year in Gabby Plain, who likes to keep it low in the zone. The home runs may be a little bit tougher to come by. It starts Friday at 3 o'clock on ESPN2. Um, I was wondering when the uh, Sooners fell behind 4 nothing to Wichita State the other day, Caleb Bro, why Patty Gasso didn't look nervous. I, I, I was like, holy cow, what's going on? And then, boom, 15 minutes later, they got eight runs on the board, and they are cruising. Yeah, I, you know, I questioned that decision, obviously. I think it's mm-hmm. interesting when you have a G. Juarez and a Shannon Sale and your game three and you're pitching somebody that has 17 innings on the season. And, you know, I looked at that and in my opinion, I was like, wow, they don't think much of Wichita State. They obviously think that their offense can do their job. But part of me thinks that Patty Gasso wanted to call her offense and say, hey, we're going to see the best team we're going to see next weekend. You guys have to score runs. I want them to feel the pressure of being behind and having to put runs on the board. And I think that was her whole philosophy philosophy of that game. She was going to take the chance in the pitching circle to prove that her hitters, when they needed, when they had a deficit, would be able to come back and win a ball game. Interject real quick on, um, on that. It, it, you know, it is interesting. I think earlier in the year I said that uh, – uh, Oklahoma's offense was their fourth best pitcher out of the pen. I think maybe they're its second best pitcher out of the pen. <laughs> after seeing that game against uh, Wichita State. It's a this matchup this weekend is going to be interesting. And you know, I was really looking um, after the results came out and in the seedings and um, with 
Washington. And I think it's like anything in life. You can take, you know, you get lemons, you can make lemonade out of it. So if you're Washington, I think everyone on this podcast, we all agree. If you're going to win a national championship, you got to go through Oklahoma, right? They're probably the favorite. So if you're going to win, if anyone else is going to win other than Oklahoma, you still have to beat Oklahoma. So think of it this way, though, if you're Washington, okay, I think it's an advantage. They're playing them in super regionals and not in the Women's College World Series. They get to prepare. They know who they're facing. They know everything they have to do, and they don't have to get through six other teams and then still beat them in the championship series. So if you really think of it, if you spin it in your head and say, how do we turn something that feels like such a negative into a positive? You say, you know what? We're actually lucky. We're going to face them in supers. We're going to win the three game series. And then we're going to go on to the women's college world series. I mean, it doesn't always seem like that in your head when it first comes out, like, oh my God, we got to go to Norman for super regionals, but still you get to prepare every way. Gabby Plain gets to go in and throw when she's fresh versus having gotten through six other teams before trying to win a championship against an Oklahoma. Anyway, just a certain way to spin it. If you had only dropped seven or eight or 19 F-bombs, that would have sounded like Heather Tarr's pregame speech right there. I think you got it down to a T, Smitty. And this, you do make a good point about playing them with a week to prepare and fresh as opposed to having to play maybe twice on Saturday and Sunday at the World Series and then face them Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday when you're a bit gassed. Uh, what, what else we got on Oklahoma, Washington? Of course, the Huskies also had to feel a little bit of that pressure, and, and they certainly responded. They were down four runs, uh, JDH, in their, uh, if necessary, game. Well, and they never got phased. That's the thing about playing behind Gabby Plain. They know that she's going to be able to step in, throw the innings that they need, spin the ball through the zone. But honestly, for me, it was great to see Pat Moore step in in there. They were in the losers bracket, but Pat Moore stepped in, got the complete game win, did not give up a hit. So a great job to, for Washington to have another pitcher to be able to come in. Now, I don't expect to see Pat Moore in the Oklahoma Super Regional. However, it took some innings off of Gabby Plain, which we haven't seen any other pitchers really be able to step in and be super dominant for them. But I was excited that Gabby Plain was able to stay in the dugout for that one and watch but I will say it's going to be hard for Washington to be able to go against Oklahoma with Gabby playing every inning in the circle and for her to stay really sharp with her movement. We saw her give up two home runs back to back jacks to Michigan in that opening game against them and they pulled her from the game. And so the home run, she can be vulnerable to it and Oklahoma will definitely capitalize if her spin is not tight through the zone. Holly, what do you think? Well, I wanted to ask you guys a question that I feel like is getting lost in the um, unbelievable hitting numbers for Oklahoma, because you don't win softball games 24 to seven very often. I mean, it's insane what they're doing with the bats, but I think what's getting lost in that is that I'm curious about their pitching. Are any of you concerned? What concerns do you have about their pitching because they were in a dogfight against Wichita state in game one, you know, they only win that game seven, five in the very first meeting in regionals. And they went through three pitchers in that game. So I'm just curious if you see the pitching as an issue for Oklahoma, or it just doesn't even matter. Kayla, was that supposed to be Shannon sale getting the start or what was the information you had as to why they went to Reigns and is Shannon. Okay. 
Uh, no, we had, there was no injury like report from Patty. Okay. So we asked her why, and then that's, you know, from her mouth during mm-hmm. the, um, in game interview, because we only found out about 20 minutes prior to game time, what the starting lineup was mm-hmm. for that game three. Um, and we asked Patty and she flat out just said, you know, Olivia Reigns has got some good stuff. She had a changeup and she had a down ball. And so Wichita state is an Excellent. They're the number two hitting home run team in the country. So I think, you know, you try and maybe go to somebody that throws down and off speed to hit, keep them off balance. Because what we saw in game one against Wichita State is Wichita State kicked both Gabby, or excuse me, G. Juarez and Shannon Sale out of the game. They both gave up home runs and they both gave up home runs on the up pitch. So that G. Rise ball and the Shannon Sale rise ball are the ones that were susceptible to getting hit. And Wichita State did a really good job. They were all over them. I mean, they didn't look fooled. They had good outings, quality at bats. They put the pressure on the Oklahoma pitching staff. So to answer your question, Holly, I think it's a huge advantage for some of these teams to be able to go in because Oklahoma, let's be real, just has not been challenged the way that they should this season with their schedule. And really, Oklahoma State scored a ton of runs on those two those two starting pitchers. So if you get an opportunity with a Gabby plane to keep the score tight, I think you do have an opportunity to upset the Sooners based upon their pitching alone. Kayla, I completely agree with you. Also in looking at Washington and looking at how they were able to produce runs throughout their entire lineup, they put 10 runs on Michigan. Michigan had the number one team ERA in the country And there aren't just the athletes like the Sisses and the Morgans and the Bailey Clingers getting it done. Sarah Willis is stepping up for them. Kelly Lynch. They're having athletes throughout their entire length. Taryn Atley, a senior who was not in the starting lineup until last week for them. They're having athletes throughout their entire lineup stepping up to get it done. So, Holly, to answer your question, does the amount of runs that Oklahoma is giving up make me nervous? Yes, but in the best way, because I think that series that's going to be on ABC, ninth mention, 3 p.m. Saturday, is going to be so competitive and so fun to watch. Thank you very much, Jen. I wanted the 10th ABC mention, and I just got it Saturday at 3 o'clock. That is a very very experienced and a very uh, softball-savvy lineup for Washington that may be uh, the X factor in that series. Excited to uh, head to Norman for that one. Oklahoma State, Texas next up. They'll be uh, starting Friday, uh, 5 o'clock on ESPN2. I think this has, um, in in the parlance of the old Big 8, and I guess current Big 12, a real barn burner. And I'm, I'm looking forward to this matchup. That place is going to be absolutely bonkers. What's the what's out in left field there where they were taking showers and stuff? What's the name of that place? The Corral? The Corral. What do we think of this one? Giddy up. Oh, nice. Giddy up. That's potential. Giddy up. Super. Uh, I'll start. (laughs) So Oklahoma State was probably the most impressive team to me in regional play. When I looked at them, they were not going to lose. They just weren't going to lose. It it didn't matter what the score was. Their offense was going to figure out how to score more runs than the other team. And I'll tell you, Carrie Eberly, who is so talented, did not look that impressive this weekend. I think she has work to do this week, but it didn't matter because their offense was so good. Now, looking at Texas, they looked like a night and day different team than they did in the Big 12 tournament. And I think that's because their defense, who has been worrisome for them 
all year long showed up. They played clean defensive softball and they just figured out how to score and scratch one more run than the other team. And so this, this super regional is very intriguing to me, but I do feel personally like OSU has the advantage because their offense was just incredible. Michelle. Yeah, I think this is going to be um, a real, this is going to, there's going to be a lot of energy there. It, both teams are gritty. They have blue collar. Um, they fight, fight, fight. So I, I think this is going to be full of a lot of emotion. Oklahoma State has 86 home runs on the year. They're quietly starting to creep up to one of the best home run hitting teams in the nation. When earlier in the year, I I didn't really view them that way. They've got four hitters with double digit home runs. They've got a pitching staff that has an ERA of a 1.82. So Kelly Maxwell, the lefty and Kerry Eberly work very, very well together. And as you mentioned, Jen, about Texas. One of the biggest surprises for me and the reason why I thought that they advanced was because of Molly Jacobson's ability to pitch in that game three. She showed up out of nowhere. She had been struggling earlier this year and the lefty came out and she was slinging it. And as you mentioned, Jen, too, the defense showed up behind her. So I think that's a little bit of a wild card. If she shows up and has a really good supers, I think that throws a little bit of a wrench at Oklahoma State. But I think all the way around, this is going to be a gritty, gritty matchup with lots of energy, a little bit of in your face, talking back and back. I mean, it it's going to be fun and it's going to be fun in Stillwater. <laughs> I think Oklahoma State's a better team. And I know the regular season doesn't matter, you know, as much, but I caught the, the Big 12 championship and watching just that game, looking at their history, Oklahoma State put up 17 runs against Texas this season. I mean, they haven't beat them. And I know, okay, it doesn't matter until you get the postseason. Well, you kind of know, and you kind of realize that. And Oklahoma State is that team that, like, you better believe that they are taking that confidence, that swag. It's what they have. And I think for those that don't understand, they're coming into the Super Regional. They've known maybe, like, big picture, the schools. And they think, oh, wow, Texas, they're going to be a, a better, bigger, better team because they're a bigger name. But Oklahoma State has proven, I feel like, throughout the regular season, throughout last weekend, that they are a much better team, everything that you guys have mentioned, but just watching it, and I'm not trying to negate Texas, but I feel like this could be a two-game series and Oklahoma State taking both. Ooh. So is it giddy up or gritty up? (laughs) And by the way, after you watch the Oklahoma-Washington game Saturday afternoon on ABC, uh, you can turn it over to a game two of the Oklahoma and Texas Oklahoma State and Texas series. All right, how about UGA and uh, the Gators? Uh, Friday evening, five o'clock on ESPNU. Um, I got booed at, at uh, KSP Stadium just for mentioning Kaylee Puwailea's name, Puwailoa's name, after she hit the home run to beat the Gators in the Super several years ago. Uh, how do the Gators prevent that from happening again? We did see much better production from their entire lineup. Um, All year long, they have been relying heavily and sometimes exclusively on Hannah Adams, Sharla Eccles, and Kendall Lindemann. And and they're going to need the the, uh, full boat here because Georgia may have a little little more confidence, Holly Rowe, uh, after they were able to beat Duke this week. I think you're right about that, but here's what I learned about Florida this weekend. I think their pitching staff is gaining confidence and and coming together at the right moment at the right time. I mean, Mm -hmm. we saw a no-hitter. Hightower looked fantastic to me this weekend, and I just feel like – I don't want to say – 
I don't want to be negative, but I feel like we've all been sleeping on their pitching staff a little bit this, this year. I think they have a little bit more depth and a little bit more consistency or, or they're really peaking and coming together at the right time. I'd be curious to your thoughts on that, Michelle. Yeah, absolutely. This is a pitching staff that they all do things a little bit differently, but they have an amazing defense behind them. So they can be pitched to contact. They don't have to go out and, and collect 50% of the outs via the strikeout. They can just roll a hundred ground balls and like cans of corn and, and the defense is going to be there making really great plays. I think offensively for Florida, what is intriguing to me is Emily Wilkie in the two spot. I think when she is in that two spot and separates, puts Eccles and then Lindemann behind her it opens everything up. You have Hannah Adams, who's one of the best leadoffs around, non-traditional, doesn't really slap a lot, but just a great average hitter. Then you have Wilkie. To me, I think what will be important for Georgia is to warn the umpires. It's about the leaning into the pitches. I mean, you, we have seen so many hitters from the Florida lineup become very um, crafty at being able to get plucked. And at some point, there's going to be an umpire that says, no, 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 you got to come back and, and earn your earn your way on. So I think that's going to be a big key for, for Georgia. And on the flip side, it's also a big key for Florida because those hit batters and those free passes have been a big part of their offensive game plan. Uh, and then Eccles, she's just lights out. She's only struck out three times all year. Yeah. yeah. And what was interesting too was Wilkie and Goddard, who got hit, I believe, every game, when they did swing, they swung it real well. They were, they were getting base hits. They were driving in runs. So I, I think for some coaches, do you want to try and take the hit or do you want to make a hit happen? And um, th- that w- we'll see what the umpires think about that moving forward. The other thing that we saw uh, were, were players getting called out, um, slappers out of the batter's box. So let's see if umpires are starting to take more, pay more attention and if that is going to be a big issue moving forward. Holly? Didn't Florida win a World Series championship getting hit by the pitch? I mean, don't you guys six. remember that? Yeah, yeah. six times. That, yeah. that 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 was a strategy. They they actually, I think, teach it well. I don't know if they actually do teach it, but I'd be shocked if they didn't. They won mm-hmm. a championship doing that. That's a yeah. that's a strategy. So how do you prevent it? I don't I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I mean, honestly, my dad used to sit in the backyard. I feel like, you know, I'm going to get a call from HR here in a second or some kind of child like services, but he used to throw tennis balls at my sister and I and teach us how to properly roll into a pitch to get your base. Like literally, and part of it was to save the front of your body so that you never get hit. You see all kinds of hitters always do that. So how to roll into the ball, purposely get hit. Where it goes wrong is when you're over the plate, when you see all this equipment and it's over the strike yes, zone. And that's exactly. where the umpires, Smitty, to your point, they need to get it right. That way other teams don't get mad. Hey, if you throw a ball that's off the plate and it's in the batter's box, take your bases. I love it. But if it's a yep. strike, they need to make the right call. I agree a hundred percent, Jess. And that's the problem. We actually would slow, slow down the play and you could see their elbow coming into the path. So it's not like the ball was going to the hitter. The hitter was going into the path of the pitch. And that's when I have an issue with it because what happens when you take away the inside corner? Well, Beth, we talked about it. Sandy Koufax said it best, right? Show me a pitcher that can't throw on the inside corner and I'll show you a loser, right? Yep. <laughs> You, you split the plate in half and you just know, well, they're not going to come inside. If they do, they're going to hit me. I can sit outside and boom, go oppo. So yeah. that'd be and great if we fight, could get the five Harris's of, of any, if any team that doesn't have a problem going after hitters, like 
I think the Georgia Bulldogs are going to be that team. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I wonder if we can get Sandy to join us on the show Saturday afternoon on um, ABC, uh, 3 o'clock Eastern. Uh, the other the other thing, by the way, when we talk about this Florida pitching staff, remember Hightower didn't throw just one no-hitter. She threw, she threw two, but she wasn't able to finish, wasn't allowed to finish uh, the first one. Michelle Smith was about to jump out of the press box and tell her not to give up the ball, by the way, uh, but it, it ended up working out okay for the Gators. Um, time now to move on uh, Friday night on ESPNU 7 Eastern. Uh, things will start. This is intriguing to me, Shro, because it's it, it's the old timers, the Arizona Wildcats and the newbies, uh, the Hogs, the Arkansas Razorbacks. You got some old school. You got some new school. And you got bragging rights, Pac-12 SEC head to head, baby. When I have my super regional list in front of me, this is the one that I have asterisked because this one, I really go either way. Like you mentioned, it is the, the SEC champions, the Courtney Diefel, the Braxton Burnside, you know, these like big bopper hitters at Bogle Park. And then it's Mike Candrea's. I've been there. I know what it takes. I'm a part of the pack. I've won championship after championship, Arizona Wildcats. I really think that this series can go either way, but I think it's going to come down to the pitching staff that shows up because Arizona's pitching staff is not the Arizona pitching staff of the past. And so is Alyssa Denham is I'm drawing a blank on her name. Somebody help me. Mariah she looks Lopez. like Megan Langenfeld to me. What's her name? Mariah Lopez. No, no. Oh, Hannah Bowen. Hannah Bowen. Thank you. Hannah Bowen. <laughs> Is Hannah Bowen going to show up? And I'll say that she needs to be the MVP of this Super Regional for Arizona to scratch this one out. Holly, what do you think? Um, I I have a cute, fun stat or situation that I want to test Beth Moen's College World (gasps) Series knowledge. So get ready. Get ready, Beth. Um, I don't have my Bible with me, so it's going to have to be off the top of my head. Let's see. I, I have faith in you. So I was talking to Courtney Diefel this morning, and she said, my mom brought up a fun fact that both my sister and I have played against Mike Candrea. So you'll remember Courtney Diefel was the starting catcher for California, led Courtney the Golden Bears to mm-hmm. four Women's College World Series appearances and a national championship run in 20. 20- or 2002 and a national runner-up showing in 2003. So I'm curious, was it Arizona that she beat as a player? Does Mike Candrea have beef with her as a player? Does that add any fun little intrigue here? Uh, Yes. Mike Candrea does have beef with her because um, that was the year that uh, they beat Jenny Finch in the championship game. And I think so Finchie won it all as a junior and then Cal got them as a a senior Jocelyn Forrest. Remember the great story with the Cal Bears um, and her uh, sister who uh, passed away during the regular season and all the emotion uh, that she brought. And uh, that Cal team that everybody fell in love with, they had piercings, they had tats, they had hair out to here. They were brazen and brassy, and ev- we loved everything about that team. And, yes, there is beef, Candrea and, and uh, Courtney Diefel. By the way, I was half right, which means I was also half wrong on my Jesse Harper prediction. She didn't get two home runs, but she did get one. So hats off to Jesse, now uh, in the 90 home run club. 
Um, and I'm going to go ahead and say she's going to add one more this weekend. There, I said it. Uh, what else we got? Anything on this uh, Arizona, Arkansas JDH that you like? Well, I'm. I know many of us saw that Ole Miss eruption of a mm. in Tucson this last week, and. I think that was a really big turning point for Arizona in their season. They've had their backs up against the wall and have not been able to respond in some of those deficits, that big 10 day road trip to Florida where they lost a ton of games. I think that was a turning point for them to be able to come back from that six run deficit, come back and get the win. Now it's going to be different though. They had the entire Rita Hillenbrand stadium behind them, the emotion and finally a packed house playing for them. Now they have to step into Bogle Park, where it will be a fan base that is against them. They have not been able to figure out how to hit on the road. And that, to me, is a big key in this Super Regional. If they cannot figure out how to put some runs together on the road, at Bogle Park, in a hostile environment, with a packed house that they're not used to playing in all year long, they're going to have a really tough go against Mary Happ, who really has been Good job with that rise ball. It does not sit flat very often. And Arizona has shown that they are susceptible to the rise ball. will swing and miss at that ball in their eyes. And so this is going to be a big matchup. Mary half kind of going against all of the Arizona hitters. Yes. And that Ole Miss player was not ejected, right? After all of that, I mean, was that the base runner on third base that literally went out of her way to walk right through the middle of that conversation and bump the own? She was not ejected, but Jamie Traxel did remove her from the game. So Jamie Traxel, the umpire, the officiating did not remove her, but Jamie Traxel removed her from the lineup. I did think it was interesting. I saw a lot of chatter on social media. Players were upset about it. Like, I think it's one thing for us as like, I don't know, we're adults. Like we've been out of the game for a long time. I thought it was really interesting that current players and players who've just gotten out of college, they were very upset like this is something you don't do so it wasn't just like us being like oh my gosh you can't do this it was the whole softball community well said holly well 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 said our last uh matchup of the eight the uh gets us underway friday night at nine o'clock eastern on espnu missouri and jmu uh fascinating it's been uh seven years since a mid-major has reached the women's college world series JMU has been knocking on that door. Is this the year they get it done? Or do the Tigers continue their Cinderella story from a team uh, that has been through so much adversity and wasn't even going to be eligible to play in the tournament last year to uh, grabbing a top eight seed and and advancing to the World Series? What do we think about this one? Uh, I'll just jump in real quick and um, and add about JMU and Odyssey Alexander. I, you know, we have talked a lot about her during the podcast, and that's probably the most media that she got the entire year. <laughs> but is she not amazing? I mean, watching her throw that first game against Tennessee lights out. Her rec- record with strikeouts. I mean, her ability to you know, just control the game and the her smile, she lights up the field. You know, I I just really enjoyed watching that game. I think that's a kid that the rest of the team loves, but play behind. They're in a situation where I think what's this her second super regional. So in a opportunity to punch a ticket to the women's college world series, this is a strong program. And, you know, I think they're going to really challenge Mizzou. Now on the opposite side of that, Missouri 
offensively has been lights out, but you know what, as of late, their pitching has been showing up. And so that makes them a very lethal team. So if they can pitch and defend it along with that really good offense, that is scrappy hits home runs, runs and hits gap to gap. I I think that that we we may see them in Oklahoma city. What do you think, Kayla bro? Well, I, I thought about the Tennessee JMU game this weekend. I talked to Madison Shipman about it. She's getting, you know, info alleys behind the plate uh, and I thought that Tennessee got hurt by pitching and choosing to pitch to Kate Gordon. You know, you have situations, you have pitch or hitters, and we talk about this all season long. Do not let the best offensive player beat you. And we're seeing that time and time again. Well, Kate Gordon beat them. She got all three of their RBIs in that game, and she led them to, I think, what would inevitably be that regional victory from a hitter standpoint, taking care of Tennessee in the Saturday ball game. So for Mizzou looking at that, I think you have to learn from Tennessee. You have to sit there and say, who on this offense are we going to be smart around and who are we going to allow um, to potentially try and win the game? Because it cannot be Kate Gordon. What do you think, Holly? Well, I actually spoke with coach Laporte this morning from JMU and they're fired up. Like they are not intimidated to play against sec teams. They just came out of that Knoxville regional. They feel like they belong. And two things she talked about really struck me. One CC, they call Odyssey Alexander CC. Um, I am obsessed with her. She just followed me on Twitter and I'm like super <gasps> excited. I'm geeking out, like super geeked <laughs> out. I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm so excited because she is a baller. Um, coach said she's not only doing this in the circle, she's doing it in our lineup. She's a great hitter. She impacts this team dramatically. Not only that, but she's in an exceptional condition. If you look at this James Madison staff, this entire team, they did a ton of extra work in the off season and leading into this season with their nutrition and lifting weights. And this is a very intentional team. This would be their first trip to the Women's College World Series. I think that's their third time to regional or supers. But um, I think they last went in 2018. But she's like, we're not intimidated. We're ready to go in there and fight. Two things before I make my point. One, Holly, you must have had the busiest morning. I love the work you're doing talking to everyone this morning. And two, I know, like, two... I will, I will say Holly was so excited when Odyssey followed her on Twitter. She was like, guys, she followed me. She really is obsessed like with her. And right, like <laughs> rightfully so. <laughs> it was, it was really cute to watch, but I want to give a little love to Missouri because guys, they had it over four team ERA going into regionals and then gave up two hits the whole entire weekend. And then to JMU, a name we haven't mentioned on this podcast whatsoever who needs little love is Sarah Jubis. Because yes, Kate Gordon had the RBIs, but it was Sarah Jubis who got them going every single time. And I feel like she's the best, sleepiest hitter in in postseason play right now. I think it's Sarah Jubis. I'm so mad at you for saying that's exactly where I was headed with Sarah Jubis. I wanted to give, they have five players and Jenny Dalton I'm so sorry because everyone, I feel like by the time she gets there, she's like, I, this is all the things I was going to say. They have five players though on James Madison. They have over a thousand EPS OPS, including Odyssey Alexander, but Sarah Jupis is the one that as much as you don't want to pitch to the key hitter in Kate Gordon, I get it, but they had so many hitters throughout that lineup. We talked about their pitching just because 
of Odyssey and how well they did. But I mean, it's, it's not just Jubis. I mean, Logan Newton. I mean, it goes on and on when you look at the numbers. I get it. The conference, you could argue who they were playing all of those things. But they have some serious, and I loved Sarah Jubis's at bats. I know we didn't get to see all of them, but she was battling, fouling pitches off. There wasn't any swing and miss. So anyway, I had to jump in there because you stole the one player I wanted to talk about. I'm so mad at you. <laughs> well, all in all, you guys have talked about everything that I was gonna throw in there. I love it. But when it comes to the evolution of Odyssey Alexander. I've really seen her come on the scene. So the last time they were at Supers was at UCLA in 2019. And when she was there, she and Megan Good combined. But Megan got the nod more often than not because she was that redshirt senior. Odyssey Alexander was so good, but at the same time was throwing in the shadow of Good because of her experience, her maturity, and her senior leadership. But Odyssey Alexander has absolutely turned it on since Megan Good has left the scene. She started hot in 2020, but then that season went short. And now I just see her as a very complete player. She's always been good, but I love the conditioning that she's put in and also just the leadership that she has from the circle. Beth? Yeah. Well, I think super geeked out not only uh, sums up um, Holly's adoration, but sounds like a good name for a podcast that we're all super geeked out about the supers coming up and our social media reach because Shro, you got teams adding, you got teams sending stuff your way, but who was it? Jordan Weber, right? After the no hitter, they wanted some love from you, Jen. Yeah, no, they do. Okay, firstly, I don't know. Maybe you guys can help me. I did not think that studio could jinx a no-hitter. I just so happened to be filming no, at that, the same that time. that doesn't happen. That's impossible. That doesn't oh, happen. It, it is possible. Thank you, It Beth. is possible. Thank you. But it's then Marissa Anderson called my you-know-out-what after that game because she retweeted the video and said, Jen Schroeder, I thought you knew better than that. You're a catcher. And, you know, Larissa Anderson is, like, a little scary in a good way. Tori <laughs> Vidalis texts me about some of the things that she makes her players do, sign contracts to, to uh, for their commitment, uh, dry season. Like, she's very serious. I can totally appreciate that and love that. But she called my ASS out. Mm, Thank mm. God Jordan Weber threw a no-hitter the next game. And I kept yeah. <laughs> But what happened after that? You guys did not. You and Chris Budden both were like, and so there's something happening in this game, and we can't say. <laughs> I think I probably still said, there's a no-hitter. I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. That's, uh, that, that's a run through the entire uh, uh, bracket, eight head-to-head matchups. Uh, should we shag some stats right now to shut this thing down? This week on Shaggin' Stats. I'm going to go first. My Shaggin' Stat is um, we've got softball on ABC Saturday afternoon, 3 o'clock Eastern Oklahoma, and Washington on ABC. We need one more to get to 15 mentions. Can I jump in? Yeah. My Shaggin' Stat, my Shaggin' Stat, and you can see it on ABC this Saturday. is that Washington has a 347 batting average against lefties. Their Ooh. batting average as a team is 324, but it's 347 against lefties. G. Juarez. Okay, so the, hmm, it's going to be interesting. Watch on ABC. That's see- a good one. Okay, my shagging stat is um, only five number one seeds have won the Women's College World Series since um, 
last Florida in 2015. So when seeding mm. began in 2005, only one, only five number one seeds have won. So the pressure is on Oklahoma, but we'll see that on ABC 3 p.m. Eastern. Well done. Well Saturday. done. Well done. Uh, I got to shout out Oklahoma, who you can see on ABC this Saturday mm-hmm. <laughs> 3 mm-hmm. Eastern. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're the number one team, Holly. And I, if people, if somebody was sleeping on them, I just want to reiterate some of their stats from this weekend. Cause they were ridiculous. They scored 50 runs in three games. They had 12 home runs. They hit, they scored 10 runs in one inning in the seventh inning against Wichita state on game three. And they only gave up, I mean, they, but they gave up, excuse me, 12 runs. So, you know, 50 to 12, it's not terrible, but was that a three hour game, by the way, that three hour. Three hour, 20 minutes. Okay. We don't need that. We, we got yeah. flights to catch. We don't need that. Right. Who's right, next? So I, my shag and stat is I actually gave an MVP award for all of the regionals. And I know that like, there's just a million names because we talked so much. The ACC doesn't get a lot of love. I'm actually going to Virginia Tech, who was, by the way, fourth in the ACC. That's how good that conference was, how much they showed up. For those of you that don't know, that weren't listening, they're headed to UCLA, going against the big dogs. And I, my MVP was Kelsey Bennett. I want to throw out a new name, a name we haven't mentioned. She was nine for 11. She hit 818, if you can't do quick math. She had two home runs, four RBI out there in Tempe, including seven for her last seven at-bats to help send that Virginia Tech team two super regionals and if I can slide in a little like slot just as for Jen Schroeder Hattie Moore out of Missouri catcher she was seven for nine with four RBI and a double she also caught her third career no hitter Jordan Weber so Missouri didn't get a lot of love the Amer- the ACC I just had to like I haven't been on here so I have this, a lot of shagging stats this to- segment <laughs> is called shagging stats not hogging stats no, I, know. I had to I had to it's been pissed <laughs> out Beth come on let me just a little bit <laughs> round to catch up who's next I'll take it. I know Jess is so excited to be back with the yellow ball. We've missed her so much, but when it comes down to it, it's been 730 days since we have last seen a pitch in Oklahoma city, but don't worry before we get there, there will still be a game on ABC that you all need to tune into. So 730 days since we've been in OKC, but we've still got some good games this weekend to catch. Uh, last one of the day. I think I'm going to give love to the six. New coaches leading new programs. I'm defining new as the last five years. They're new to their programs in the last five years. Lauren Laporte of JMU. Mike White is new at Texas. Pete Diamore, Virginia Tech. Larissa Anderson, Mizzou. Courtney Dyfel at Arkansas. And Kenny Gajewski at OSU. And you can watch all of them on or before or after you turn into ABC on Saturday at 3 p.m. Eastern. Nice. That's an even 20 mentions right there. Well done, everybody. Well done. On the Seven Innings podcast, BMO, Horo, Smitty, Doza, Shrobro, JDH, and of course, the episode Super Geeked Out, dot, 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 on ABC. Boom, boom, ball game. We will see you on the road to the Women's College World Series. Literally, we're on the road again. <laughs>